turn down for Walt is a Super Smash Brothers melee content creator, live commentator, and lead producer at Panda. His YouTube channel has over 50,000 subscribers, and he's amassed over 6 million views. Walt's content includes highlights from melee tournaments, frame-by-frame breakdowns of notable plays, and documentaries that dive deep into the storylines within the melee community. I am so happy to be here with him in New York City. Walt, welcome to Affable Chat. Hello. Yeah, thank you for having me. I mean... New York City also welcome to New York had to had to travel to to get the interview and um, I think for people who may be unfamiliar uh, what makes Super Smash Brothers so special yeah so uh, the coolest thing to me about Smash I think in general um, Melee as a community as a game is over 20 years old now which is insane to think about yeah uh, I, I mean anybody who's thinking is if you're not in the community now i feel like you've probably played it in your childhood and you remember it as a really awesome game but right. you might be surprised to know that it's still very much alive today yeah exactly and i think that that's part of the charm for it that draws more people in even to this day so so many competitors as it were in the greater melee scene are actually younger than the game now, yeah. which is, again, a wild That's statistic crazy. to think about. There are people who are 19 and 20 who are as old as the video game that we were playing when we were, what, six? Yeah. Or however old we were. Yeah. I think that that's very cool about it, is that for, for one reason or another, the game is as old as it is, but it continues to live on through multiple generations or decades worth of people. Um, on the other side of the youth of people that play this game, there's also really fucking old people that play this yeah. game too which is insane so we just had a really funny statistic of uh again this is for people who are i guess a little bit more entrenched into into this game but hopefully this conversation gets you guys more into it yeah yeah we have a player whose name is mango he just became uh there's a meme that's going along the whole community is that we ranked him the lowest he's ever been so far because he had a bit of a slump year uh in 2021 2022 so we ranked him below top 10. It was the first time he's ever been ranked below top 10 in his life. He has been playing consecutively from the onset of competitive melee to now. So he wow. has the stats of the youngest person to ever win a major tournament, the oldest person to ever <laughs> win a major tournament, the highest ranked player at, at rank one global to ever win a major tournament, and the lowest ranked player to ever win a major wow. tournament at rank 11. Everywhere. So... <laughs> I think what I find so cool about it is that there's just so much history in the game like that where you can just dive in and be like, there are people who have been around the block for yeah. so long. There are people who have, you know, experienced this game and, you know, people who might be brand new to this sort of thing. But everyone is is different in it and everyone is so welcomed into this community, which is what makes it awesome. Absolutely. If, if anything is can be said about the Melee community is it's very welcoming. And even if you are not very good uh you can get into it and uh even participate right at these huge tournaments mm -hmm. my question though is why not play the newest one right you would think that the most recent iteration of super smash brothers would be the best one right that's the uh, or at least conventional thinking maybe would imply that but why is melee uh, like held in higher regard than the smash brothers for switch yeah i mean there's there's definitely a very uh perhaps greater audience for smash ultimate right now which is the newer one um there is a bit of overlap between people who play both games competitively but again i think when you when you kind of dig deep into 
what it is to be a competitive gamer or mm-hmm. an esports athlete or whatever it may be. Uh, the games are just different mechanically. So people who are good at Melee, myself, uh, I'm not great at the game, but I am awful at Smash Ultimate from a competitive standpoint. So it's just a different feel to play the game. Uh, there's no, I don't think at this point, kind of like animosity between the two sure. communities, but there is definitely a sizable Smash Ultimate community as well. And I think, again, what makes it cool is we go to these events and there are people who are there for Melee, there are people who are there for Ultimate, there are people who are there for games like Rivals of Ether, for instance, which has kind of become more of the platform fighter genre. Yeah. That kind of offshooted, I would say, from Smash as a whole. It's just cool that people are there for different reasons, but there's also people who are there collectively because they just want to be involved with all of it. Right, right. Well, and also some people might be there for the prize money, right? Is there, is there <laughs> money in Smash Brothers? I, I don't know if you're laughing because you know what my answer is going to be. Well, but. you recently had like a pretty hilarious quote about it was like somebody coming in like fifth place or something getting 75 bucks or something. It yeah, was- so, so the again, to give a little bit more history behind that the person who tweeted that is uh the co-owner of team liquid which is probably mm-hmm. like a very top tier level esports organization he's a part owner of that team and he made 75 bucks <laughs> go, getting fifth place and again for a little bit of context about what that means major tournaments are typically three days long yeah so he made 25 bucks a day <laughs> doing that is basically what that amounts to because you go on Friday, you have like your uh, pools matches, as they call it, which mm-hmm. are kind of like when you're a, a top 10 player or a professional, those are nothing days for you. You just go, you kind of mop the floor with the random scrubs that come to the event or whatever. Yeah, You, you have fun, do whatever for that day. On uh, Saturday, you do your, your main bracket, which is kind of like top, I don't know, maybe 128 players down to a top 64. They narrow it all the way down to a top eight. And then top eight is kind of the championship Sunday where you have your final eight players that play up until you have first place completely done. So someone like HBox, which is the person that made that post, made it to Sunday, competed for three days straight. It's probably, you know, multiple hours a day worth of playing, which, again, the boomers of the world will hear that and be like, oh, well, you played a video game for all day. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a lot and it can be mentally draining for sure, especially when you kind of reach that, that micro celebrity status of sorts where you're interacting with people, your social battery is probably getting drained over time. Uh, you do that for three days and then you make 75 bucks and you're like, <laughs> what the hell? This right, stupid. right. Um, I made a dig about that actually at, at the event that I was just at in Virginia where we had like, we do a Oscar style award ceremony and it was like, Oh, you know, we're, I was presenting the award for the most improved in Melee. So my, my co-presenter was like, you know, it's, it's really hard to get good at the game, uh, especially because it's been around for so long. Like, like I said before, players like Mango who exist right. who are kind of like, you know, gods and have just existed for this long. Right. And I've heard that as like a term that's used uh, to describe the, a certain group of players who are the, the gods yeah. of the game, the ones who seemingly, at least from my like outside looking in perspective, are always, always, always the ones at the end. You know, right, you, right. if you want to dethrone those guys, you've, you're really climbing Mount Everest because they've established themselves so well. Yeah. And it's challenging. I think Melee as a game, uh, the reason why, and again, this is kind of peeling back to your first question a little bit, the reason why I think it's so appealing to players that kind of become entrenched in that game in the way that they do is because you start playing it and it's just like these, it's an onion. It's just these levels of depth that you just start peeling back over and over and over again, where you say like, oh, okay, I was the best player 
in my neighborhood. So clearly I can go to this tournament and mop everyone up. That's what everyone's perspective is when they first go to a tournament. So they go, they get their ass beat colossally. And then they come back and they're like, wow, there's people who are much better at this video game than I am. Right. So then they uncover the advanced techniques and they uncover that there's a competitive scene behind this. And they uncover that there's this enormous kind of like backing of esports that exists in this infrastructure of the game. And you're like, holy crap, there's so much more to this than I ever could have imagined. And it was just, you know, Mario and Donkey Kong just (laughs) beating the shit out of each other kind of thing. Absolutely. It's made me into a believer. I think whenever people are like, trying to determine whether something is a sport or not that's all subjective but to me esports are just like real sports because you have that depth um when i was a kid playing super smash brothers melee i thought using down b as captain falcon was the (laughs) ultimate move and i was kicking everybody's butt then i got to college and played against people in my dorm i was like oh i'm actually terrible at this game (laughs) and people who actually knew how to dodge and block like were totally destroying me But then there's a whole, like, that's just scratching the surface. That's right. That's right. There's so much more to it. And even though it's like you're not technically like using your body uh, and like working out to like develop muscles necessarily, you still are training in technique. Like, you are learning how to, uh, you know, for lack of better words, fight uh, through this game. And I think that's, you know, going one on one with somebody in that way is very similar to you know any other competitive yeah absolutely uh, and, you know, and that's the that's the biggest draw of the game just as a whole right because again you uncover all of these technical layers to uh how involved this game can be but you're also playing against another human yes. so there is that element of i can be as technically good at the game as as it allows me to be which is again another thing of melee is that it's truly impossible. Like the the skill ceiling is infinite. Yeah, which yeah. is why people are like, oh, because it's it's very expressive. You can do anything you want within the sandbox of this game. So there are people who all play the same character, but they play the character drastically differently. Yeah, um, because it works for them or whatever their reasons may be. But you also factor in that human element of okay, I may be good at this character, but I'm not good against this person right. kind of thing. Oh, or, yeah. And that's what's also cool is like when you... I've watched some of your more long-form documentaries and some of the times when you like talk about a particular, a particular event and you have the history of two guys going up against each other right. where it's like that fight isn't just this character versus this character or even that fighter versus like the person who's controlling them versus the other person. It's also the culmination of the series of all the fights that exactly. have led up exactly. to that, which adds so much more to the drama and i think if you're a real like sports fan you can appreciate that kind of thing going in there having uh them having met competitively in the past and you know again now it adds like a storyline to it adds that drama absolutely yeah i'll I'll give you a little example also to nerd out a little bit more so there's a player called axe who is the best pikachu player in the world uh, he became famous. I did a documentary on this. I as watched well. that documentary. Yeah. yeah, with the summit, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he won a major tournament. He was the first Pikachu to ever win a major tournament. It took him ten years of playing to win a major, which is again an, an enormous accomplishment. But also, you look at the the grand scope of everything, and you're like, holy shit! These people have been doing this for so long. Right. This is crazy to think about. You think about kind of like these uh, more granular storylines, right? Axe had never lost to a competitive Marth player in a tournament set. So it took him 10 years to win a major. It took him 10 years to ever lose to a Marth player. He was undefeated (laughs) against the character Marth. So again, you talk about like character matchups and player matchups. It was his comfort pick, right? Yeah. So we go into 
this event that I was just at in Worcester, Massachusetts, a couple weeks ago. It was called Shine. And the projections are saying Axe is going to play Zan, uh, who is the number one player in the world. He mains Marth. Mm. And he had never beaten Axe ever. He was like 0 and 11 lifetime sets against him. So everyone's like, well, this is Axe's tournament to win. He it's could actually money. win it. Yeah. Now we go into their set the next day. Uh, this is actually just a really funny anecdote about that tournament. Zan flies in his friend, whose tag is Swift, who happens to be the second best Pikachu player in the world. He calls him up and he goes, I need you to fly to Boston right now <laughs> so you can give me Pikachu practice because we can't play online. There's no online setups here. I need you here in person. Wow. He flies Swift up the next day so he can practice with him for a few hours before. And Zan beats Axe for the first time ever. Wow. Ever. In, in the history of, you know, so it was that like was a 10 year loss to Amarth. First loss to Axe's Pikachu. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like this 10 year streak of Axe just dominating this character for so long. Yeah. And then, you know, through the power of money and flying people <laughs> out for, you know, so a few a hours of practice. So there's a little money in, in uh, Melee then. <laughs> there, was, there was some funny talks of like, you know, the, the meta is forever changed now. We're in the fly out meta. So you're just going to, you know, like travel out all of your practice partners when you need them for emergency trips and well, things. Wasn't there online during like COVID uh, or? There was. There okay. was. And it's, it's kind of a weird, touchy subject in some ways because uh, as briefly as I can give you a history on this. Um, I had I had done a, a quick video on this back in 2020 during the the start and the peak of the pandemic, but there there's a very weird relationship between Nintendo and how they approach um, I guess like changes to their IP or things yeah. that that involve online because of course Melee is as old as it is and there is no online functionality. Right. Someone actually uh, by the name the tag Fizzy um, actually designed basically an infrastructure with his team that allows people to play functional online. And it's right. actually much better, which is the the cruel irony of it is Melee's online is actually better than Ultimate's online. Wow. By a country oh, mile. Actually, no, that's so true. Ultimate's online is so disappointing. Yeah, it's when awful. I, when I got Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, uh, that's the one for Switch, right? Yes. Yeah, I got that and I was like, oh, I can't wait to play with my friends. And I was like, oh, okay, we're not doing this. I'll wait till you're in person with yeah, me. Yeah, it is brutally bad. Yeah. But Melee's online, so the difference is uh, the infrastructure that they made for Melee is called rollback netcode, mm -hmm. which is for fighting in fighting game layman terms, it just means it's way better than delay-based netcode, which is what Ultimate has. Okay. So for, for one reason or another, Melee got gifted with rollback <laughs> from this like ragtag team of designers that just love the game and decided... You know, we're going to make this functional. And, were like, they making any money online. off of that? Was that just something they were inspired to do? Because, again, like the Nintendo you know, thing. It, it's funny because they a lot of the initiatives in Melee 2, and I think that's the reason myself and a lot of people kind of stay in it. And we, we make this this joke or kind of statement that when you once you become a fan for Melee, you're a fan for life because yeah. of the community and the, you know, different positive aspects that do exist within the community. It's... It started off as something where I think Jazz or Fizzy was just kind of like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to open up a Patreon and like the support of the Patreon is going to kind of drive this to the uh, finish line yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm paraphrasing really hard for him. Sure. So there's definitely more effort that went into it than let right, me just see how much money gets thrown at this. Sure, but. sure. But, but people were out there wanting it. Yeah. So yeah, of course exactly. they want to support that. Yeah. Kind of and, and I yeah. think like just the, the amount of backing that someone like him was able to get and for him to actually and his team to actually be able to again cross the finish line in that way yeah it just goes to show that the community can really the community is what makes the game it's not that people are interested in 
esports or whatever. It's sure. that people are interested in people, and that's what I find really cool and charming about the game. Uh, another example I can think of is uh, actually pretty sadly enough, one of our really really close community members. His tag is Chillin' Dude. Mm-hmm. He suffered a stroke pretty recently. Yeah, and the day that we all found out about it. It came up on Twitter. One of a, a close friend of his said, hey, you know, this is a f- his family members go fund me so he can, you know, go through whatever heart surgeries he needs and, and procedures to recover. We raised something like two hundred or $300,000 in, in, in one day for this wow. guy to that's cover all of his expenses and everything. And that's I, I think that is just a pure and kind of, again, charming example of what it means to be in a community like that absolutely everyone looks out for everyone that speaks huge volumes wow that's really amazing um so i'm going to switch the topic over to other fighting games sure uh, because super smash brothers i feel like has the stranglehold on characters from different video games fighting each other okay but they're definitely not alone in the marketplace that's right yeah so uh multiverses and nickelodeon all-star brawl Mm -hmm. What what are your opinions on these games? Has, were you tempted at all? Maybe Smash Brothers isn't so great. Maybe I should play this instead. <laughs> I, what do you think? I love them. Uh, I I played uh, Naspy or Nick All Star Brawl when it first came out. Naspy is yeah. Right. <laughs> my my Nigel was uh, out of control. Oh, wow, man. I love that love that guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Nickelodeon was a lot of fun. Um, was so is it people kind of dropped it or? Uh, they still have a very dedicated community. I can say I myself don't play as play it as often sure. and that's uh, it's a product of not having the time to do yeah. that sort of thing also yeah. um but as far as like a um like melee i feel like is very competitive because there's certain aspects of it that make it kind of quote-unquote fair or you know worth diving into because it's so detailed sure uh did you find that in in naspy yeah exactly so uh nickelodeon and multiverses as well uh both were kind of fighting game forward which okay. was very cool when it came out. So I can tell you the the lead developer for uh, Multiverses is super receptive to, and I, I, the same for Nickelodeon as well. I'm, I'm familiar with both of them online, but they're both very receptive to, I think, community and, and more specifically professional input. So the competitors that play the game say, hey, this character's broken, nerf him or whatever. And yeah. then they look at what they can do on that front. But the games are very cool in the sense, for the same reason that Melee and Ultimate are different, uh nickelodeon multiverses there's a game like brawlhalla that exists i mentioned rivals of ether earlier yeah yeah. they all have very different functioning mechanics in the game and some of them draw inspiration from uh smash in some Mm -hmm. ways where like the you floated off screen and now you like explode exactly yeah Yeah. and then there's there's like the advanced stuff like the wave dashing for again people who don't know the game that well that's probably a a trigger word for some (laughs) folks but but there's wave dashing in some games so you can slide along the ground with shaggy or or velma or whoever you want um but there's different mechanics i think that make it cool so multiverses comes from the angle of we want to play a team game first. So you play 2v2 right, and a right. lot of the character specific mechanics are like, oh, you can support your teammate in this way or you can heal or you can mm-hmm. do other cool things. Um, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl came from developers from a game called Slap City. So there's a lot of uh, mechanics that were kind of derived from Slap City that make the game incredibly fast paced, like actually way more 
APM or actions per minute than melee can be in some cases. Yeah. You are breaking your wrists constantly <laughs> when you're trying to play that game. Like the pros for that game are insane to okay. think about. And there are pros. So the, there's like a whole scene for that game as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's cool is every, every game has their little pockets mm-hmm. of competitive people that play it. Yeah. Uh, albeit they're a bit smaller than ultimate for instance ultimate is probably the largest demographic right now just yeah. because there's so many younger people that play the game and because it's so much newer than yeah i mean when ones. i'm with my friends and we're gonna play a fighting game we're, we're playing ultimate you right. know that's the most accessible one because it's on the current gen and everybody's got some familiarity right with it. right so but yeah i think there, it's it's cool in the sense that there's a lot of uh again little pockets of of competitive scenes that do exist so Rivals of Ether is is one that I I have a very strong fondness for as well, just because I'm I know the developer pretty okay. well. I know wow. a lot of the people in the scene pretty well. It was actually one of the first in person events I commentated uh, pool set for it. So again, okay. like the day one where like the pros come and just slap everyone up kind of thing. <laughs> but I got to commentate, and I remember for a game like that, they had DLC characters. So I I sat down with my co-caster. I was like, I have not played since this character came out. Yeah. And they were like, wow, you haven't been, you haven't been playing in a minute. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to lean on you pretty hard because I, (laughs) I don't know what's happening for some of this. But it sounds like you're pretty supportive of like, when a new game like that comes out, it's not necessarily a bad thing for, for melee or for smash. Oh, not at at all. all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, some people might have different opinions, but for me, I think it's, it's helping greater fighting game community or FGC as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, there's definitely a divide between the standard FGC games, like your Street Fighters and your Mortal Kombat's, those are kind of the 2D arcade fighters right. or Tekkens, Tekken, for instance. Yeah. Um, then they are with the platform fighters, as we call it, like Melee Ultimate, Rivals, mm-hmm. Nickelodeon, Multiverses, what have you. But to me, I think, you know, gamers are gamers at the end of the day. Like we all just are coming together because we just happen to find a similar hobby that we're all really interested in. And we want to just express that with other people. That is really cool. Yeah, like uh, as long as you're enjoying it. Yeah, there's no, no problem for anybody else. Uh, so where do you... This is actually a question that Joey wrote. Uh, he helped oh, me a cool. little bit with these, uh, with these questions. Well, I miss Joey also. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Joey. Um, what do you consider your role in the Melee space? Are you a journalist? Are you a historian? Like, uh, and why is it important to have people doing what you're doing? It's, uh, that's a really good question. It's actually... It's funny because I think that... that role has definitely morphed into many different things Mm -hmm. over the years i want to say at the start of when i was doing youtube as turn down for walt on my channel i was more of a i would say historian or journalist of sorts i wasn't traveling to events i was just kind of someone on the perimeter who was watching and could look at the game wasn't necessarily technically proficient at the game so couldn't compete at a high level but I could analyze the game at a high level, and I was pretty confident in that. So I could look into kind of what makes this player good or what makes this play good or why was this tournament so impactful in this player's career kind of thing. Uh, you know, similarly to what you would see from an analyst on Sports Center sure. or anything like that. Sure. Or even like yeah, any YouTube creator who's going back and looking at a play from football or a goal scored right, in soccer. Exactly. You know, just analyzing it and kind of pulling the essence out and explaining it to people. Yeah. yeah. So I think like creating something that was digestible for someone who maybe didn't understand the game as well was part of it. And then also my channel in particular kind of fell into this pocket of I'm not at the top of this marketing funnel where if you know jack shit about melee, 
you can just be like, oh, that's cool. And then you suddenly like my channel. I'm more kind of down the funnel a little bit where once you get involved, there's more of an education side to it. And you can learn about the game and you can learn about the players and the storylines and what have you. And I think that's kind of where I found myself at first. Then I started traveling to events more. And when I was first going to events, this was probably back in 2018, again, under under the moniker Turn Down for Walt, but I was more of a behind-the-camera kind of person. I wanted to kind of record moments. Right. Like you had that extreme pop-off where the guy dislocated his yes, arm. <laughs> yes, that's, that's insane. That's actually, that, so that player is a Rivals of Ether player, in fact. Oh, okay. So, and yeah, he was a, he was a friend of mine and it was, it, uh, to go on a bit of a tangent for that, because <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. The, what was so funny is I had no idea he hurt himself when I was recording it. I was just like, oh, that's cool. He's emotional. Uh, so, but he, you know, he starts freaking out and then he falls over and he grabs himself. And I'm like, oh, he just loves the game so much. Yeah, that's and for like so the uninitiated, great. a pop off, like explain what a pop off is. It's just, I, is this a gaming term now? Like, I don't even. It is know. to me yeah. now. I, like, I'll, I'll even, but like, it's basically like when you win, you just express yourself yeah, and really go like, off people just have so much emotion man. <laughs> so I, I mentioned hungry box earlier in the recording and uh i just released a, a video that was about one hour's worth of hungry box pop-ups and they date back from <laughs> 2009 to today and he just he's a guy who just goes absolutely batshit man like he just goes there was one pop-off where he broke his foot I think uh, I think there was one where because he kicked the TV, he just broke his foot because he was like, "Oh fuck yeah!" And just you know, it just goes crazy. But uh, I think you watched one on your stream actually. Of he popped off so hard that he passed out. He passed out. out. Yeah, yeah. He, like it, it, he died for a moment and just fell off. Yeah, like, like his he chair. literally deprived himself of oxygen so that he just fell out of his chair and was gone yeah. for a minute. And to be clear, that's the point of a pop off is not to hurt yourself, right? It's just to celebrate really that you just yeah. did something impressive and and the way i see it is it's not really a way to like mock your opponent or like necessarily mm, put anybody down it's just to be excited and celebrate yeah yeah so the guy in this case at at uh the rivals of ether player he the person he was playing against actually was a very good friend and kind of like training partner of his so there were no hard feelings absolutely not but he wins and he gets up and goes crazy <laughs> and he starts swinging his arms around and then uh, as it were, his shoulder pops out of his socket. But again, me being behind the camera, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I got this moment, man. He's so emotional. Yes. I just love it. No, it, that one went so hard that uh, uh, I think it was Barstool Sports tried to steal the uh, yeah the clip. I, I had some run-ins <laughs> with them and uh, a bunch of other people. It got picked up by uh, freak. What was TMZ? Did a wow. post on it. Barstool did a post <laughs> I mean, on that's it. That's mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I actually within the last two or three months, I licensed it to MTV's ridiculousness, and what? I got to watch it that's on TV, awesome. which was super cool. Um, but there's, you know, there's there's kind of like the politics that go into you know copyright and things like that, oh, yeah. which which got a little challenging. But seeing the moment itself was hilarious and awesome and a lot of fun. And I remember I talked to him after because I had I had posted it without even talking to him yet and i was like oh this is a pop-off to rival hungry boxes because yeah. he's he was that dude who did all the crazy pop-offs and i talked to him after he was like yeah i dislocated my shoulder <laughs> and i was like are you serious and he he just goes yeah man like i i was holding my arm in a, in a lot of pain because I, my shoulder came out yeah i was like dude i had no idea i thought 
I just thought you were so happy and that you just had to fall over and kind of like writhe in the moment, you know, not in pain. Ah, uh, yeah, no, that is, that is absolutely amazing. And it's, uh, I mean, it just kind of speaks to the emotion that goes into this. These guys are serious about, uh, winning these, uh, these competitions and speaking of emotion, uh, let's shift over to another part of kind of what makes up your content, which is commentating. And, uh, mm-hmm. this was something, I guess, wh- how long did you start commentating? So I was doing online events kind of at the peak of the pandemic. So yeah. I did a bunch of stuff, which again, was kind of convenient given my my own personal full-time job. Sure. I'm sure you can relate in that way. Absolutely. Is, yeah. It was really hard to find time to actually travel and get out to events and physically be there for a lot of them. So you kind of pick and choose your spots, right? Right. So online blessing and a curse obviously people Mm -hmm. were not doing well during that period of time absolutely however it allowed people like myself to be at home and be present for events where i could take a lot of jobs and be like yeah i'll i'll talk over this tournament or i'll you know kind of hone my skills in that way and it was convenient because it was from the comfort of my home i didn't have to go anywhere right but so what made you want to engage in that way was it just the opportunity was there was it something that you had a passion for i had done commentary Back in college, when we were in college together, really? actually, yeah, I, I hosted. Uh, there is a famous video. Um, I don't know how entrenched you are in the NASCAR scene. I know you're a big sports guy in yeah, general. NASCAR, not my favorite, but what, what what was going on? So there's a guy who has a NASCAR channel whose name is Slap Shoes on YouTube, and he made a little mini documentary called "The Worst Super Smash Bros. Tournament of All Time." I streamed that tournament. And I commentated the whole thing. <laughs> and it took place in South Carolina. Oh, Actually, wow. it was right by Clemson. Okay. So I had done commentary, you know, back when we were in school. And I really liked it a lot. I think I thought I had a pretty good voice for it. But, you know, the scene wasn't exactly as developed as it could have been to go towards a national level. Sure. And again, the, the challenges of traveling during school or traveling, you know, with all of these other conflicts coming up made that really hard to, to pursue that a little bit more. So to me, when it was more of kind of, I just want to get back into this because I had so much fun doing this back when we were in college and I haven't had the chance to do it again. And I think the other intangible benefit is kind of being involved with these moments in the community and saying like, I think that I helped to enhance this moment in a way that is really meaningful. So yeah, there are a lot of examples now that I can think of from major tournaments that I've been to in this past year where I'm really proud of myself for helping to raise or lift those moments up for these competitors and being able to have a recording that someone can watch back and be like, damn, that was really fucking cool. Absolutely. And who else? I mean, you have the uh, prerequisites, right? You've all, you've studied the game. You understand what's going yeah, on there yeah. to be able to explain it uh, in a way that, you know, a lay person can understand, which is a commentator's job. And also one of the most, in my opinion, iconic things about Melee is the commentary specifically with one clip, the wombo combo. Oh gosh. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something, does that influence you at all? Is that something where you're like, I need to be high energy to create kind of a wombo combo moment or, well, I guess... 
with that, w- where does the wombo combo uh, exist within the melee community today? Is that a piece of lore that people like, or is it beyond mainstream to the point where it's like kind of cringe? It's it's um it's definitely beyond mainstream in the sense that other communities coined wombo combo for their own things. Oh wow! Too. And it's and again, like I had mentioned at the at the start of our interview here, the the longevity of people that exist in the scene. Those two commentators that did Wombo Combo just casted a tournament last wow. like two weeks ago. Legends. Yeah. So yeah. I, I passed off to them actually, wow. which was crazy. So I did my block. I was like, all right, Brandon and Phil are coming on next. Legends of the scene. You know, <laughs> it's just, and that's just so cool to think about like different eras of time that existed and people like those have existed throughout all of it. Yeah. But Wombo Combo is just a timeless classic, man. There, <laughs> it, I want to say it has well over 10 million views now on YouTube. It is probably the most watched clip from the Melee scene. It is a very recognizable clip from greater esports as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, back in 2013, 14, I was really into the MLG memes, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, sni- bad the sniper audio, shot, the yeah, sniper, yeah. <laughs> the mom get the camera, and Wombo Combo was right there as like one of the most top referenced memes in there. Right, so right. it's a just an iconic thing, and I think it's cool that you've entered that space, and the fact that you've even like p- passed it on to those guys that is really cool. Uh, I mean, commentary in any sport is cool, but I don't know. It's, it's like, as a lay person to be even adjacent yeah. to that. Yeah. And really I, cool. I think what's cool, what's cool also, as I mentioned, you know, players kind of pilot their characters differently, how they compete. So some people may be super turbo aggressive. Some people may play defensive and kind of back a little bit and force you to come to them. I think commentators, you know, this is just a product of people being people, right? But commentators have different styles too. Right. So you have your analysts and you have kind of the people that break things down. You have your play-by-play people who are able to kind of keep up with the game at a breakneck speed. Uh, again, similar roles to what a traditional sportscaster would fall into. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes it really cool, especially when I think of, my again, how I slot into this community. Because, like I had said before, I started off more as a journalist, historian, analyst of the game. And I'm able to apply that knowledge to my commentary, which is great. But I like doing play-by-play a lot, too. So I definitely factor that in a a bit more because I think play-by-play casters are the people that can create those moments. And they are the people that are kind of like saying, oh, you know, he's coming in with like the biggest hit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. and also being able to say what they're doing. Like, because there's always a technical, I don't know about always, but there's technical terms for the things that people are doing. Mm -hmm. Wave dashing, you know, uh, nair, or, you know, all these other vocab words that uh, it's it's easier to understand what those are and use them yourself after you have somebody use them correctly in context. Right, exactly. Yeah, you have like the jargon of the game that you can kind of, again, bring to an average viewer who can help to better understand the game, but it also raises the energy and, and lifts up that moment for the spectator as well. Not only to the competitor who is kind of soaking in the moment, but also to all the people at home who, again, can watch that clip back and be like, damn, that was an iconic moment, man. Yeah. Well, and so switching over to uh, being a content creator, because, you know, commentary, that's a completely, or not completely, but it's a different skill set. Um, what made you commit to Super Smash Brothers Melee as the thing that you wanted to create content about? I, for the same reason I said before, when you become a fan of Melee, you are a fan for life. It's mm-hmm. kind of a contract in blood that you sign, right? <laughs> I think there's something about Melee where 
I've tried other content. I've done ultimate stuff, kind of dabbled in it when the game first came out. Nothing will ever scratch the itch as much as playing this game and watching this game. There is just something, and again, I think a lot of people who are so involved into something that it becomes their passion can probably relate to that. Yeah. If you play soccer your whole life and, you know, you watch a soccer game, there's there's no feeling that compares to that, I'm sure. Absolutely. And you can go yeah. to a basketball game, you can go to a football game and you're like, yeah, this is fun, but it's not soccer. Right, right. I think when you go see Melee, like, and you've been, again, involved in it for as long as some of these people have, there's so much history and passion and just pride behind that community. It's so hard to walk away from that. And the way that I see that through content creation is Melee is kind of like the lens in which I create art at this point. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I would love to do documentaries on random stuff. Like I watch creators like Let Me Know, for instance, who's a big inspiration for my documentaries. He mm -hmm. did something on, uh, oh gosh, the dude that jumped out of the plane and stole a bunch of money. I forget his name. But he did, he did this super intense documentary. It was probably like 40 minutes to an hour long. Yeah. So, so well produced. And I try to emulate that. But so much of what I see online and consume, um, I look at it and, it and I look at it through the lens of Melee. And I say, okay, how can I apply this to this game that I love so much? Because that's Melee is the canvas. And you just can kind of create around that yeah. instead of you know forging a new path. No, absolutely. And um, I think one of the things that makes your content so uh, engaging to me is your editing style. Uh, I think one of the things you uh, recently did was you edited a Yu-Gi-Oh card as like a trap card into Melee where I I'm trying to remember the context, but it looks so real. Like it looked like he was <laughs> in the game. And um, I guess my question is like, where did you learn how to edit? Because I feel like your edits are really good. Thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, and that's, I mean, I know some people who have just taught it to themselves. I mean, do you have any formal education on that? or I don't. And I, I will actually pass off some of this compliment because I've recently started, again, like we, we talked about this before we went live, but I think the idea of turning a passion into a career yeah. kind of thing. I started to pass off some of these edits and scripts and whatnot to an editing team. So I have the, oh, wow. the Walt Cinematic Universe, as it were. Yeah. Um, so I can't take all of the credit for that. Sure. Um, my editors are, are quite good. They and They are. do a very, they very really good job. They really are. But uh, a lot of the, there are things that I like to keep kind of like close to the chest, and those are kind of the documentaries that I post or some mm -hmm. of the more, I guess, like emotionally driven or story driven content pieces. Those are all pretty much fully developed and produced by me. Yeah. I don't have any formal training or anything like that education or anything i mean you know we went to we did engineering yeah, school yeah, right, together right. So. well i'm not sure if you took a class or had some sort of uh mentor i'm the same way all the editing i do audio or video it's all stuff i just picked up mm -hmm. and you know you grind through it which is why i feel like anybody can respect good editing but especially if you try to do it yourself you can be like oh wow this guy knows what he's doing yeah yeah i think again i think you as an engineer i'm sure can relate to this in some way and when i first started teaching myself editing that was honestly one of the biggest draws as I saw a lot of parallels between editing and engineering in the sense that my girlfriend is a full-time editor. Yeah. She is incredible at what she does. She's formally trained. She went to film school. You know, she knows what a J cut and an L cut is and all this <laughs> other stuff. And I'm like, fucking whatever, man. You know, like yeah. that's because that's the engineer's way, right? We sure. just get from point A to point B in a way that works and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because it works. Right. Kind of thing. So solving problems. Exactly. So when I had first met her, I remember I was joking with her about it because I think we're similar in the sense that 
we both understand what a good edit is and we both understand common editing practices and kind of the do's and don'ts and the traditional rules as it were. Sure. But a lot of what I did when I first started editing was I'm just going to get from point A to point B. So someone like her, who again has film school backing and, and all this other stuff and experience behind her, probably would look at a timeline that I make and say, what the hell are you doing? Because <laughs> some of it just doesn't make sense, again, yeah. from a traditional standpoint. But it's what works for me. And I think that's something that's really cool about editing is that there is no correct answer. It's, it's an art. So you, again, can get from whatever direction you need to go to your final location and if it works for you, it works for you. I mean, it gets baked out in the edit anyway, so Absolutely. you see it at the end. Well, it's art almost like any other art form. You mm-hmm. look at a painting and it's like, I mean, maybe painters know, but like, <laughs> I was just like, I look at that. I don't know how you got there, but you got there, right? And exactly. that's what, what matters. Uh, so talking about like this team that helps you out with editing, is that Panda? Is that uh, like being in- involved with them? Or I guess... I don't even know who Panda is. So okay. what, what, tell me a little bit about your relation to them. So Panda uh, is separate from this. So I'm I'm currently the lead producer for Panda. They were previously called Panda Global. They are, I want to say, largely FGC or fighting game community adjacent. Mm-hmm. But we pick up players from the chess community. We have players from other games as well. There's also just influencers that exist through this platform. They're different from what I do. And I think that's... That's something I've liked so far, again, as kind of like a creative, and I, and I know you and I had spoken about this earlier, of the, the autonomy of being able to still do your own thing. Right. So I do stuff for Panda and PG Stats, which is the branch channel for us, but I'm also able to hire out for me. So I pay my own editors and I pay my own writers and stuff like that so that I can keep making and kind of churning out content for Turndown for Walt. So. Mm-hmm. Both of those avenues are still rolling together, which is really fun. But wow. Panda is is definitely a big powerhouse, I would say. They are a, a pretty large esports organization with the likes of, you know, there's Cloud9s of the world, there's TSMs of the world mm-hmm. for people who know these. Panda is one that is definitely big in fighting game community, I would say. Okay, so just to be a part, like a branch on that tree, it's like... Uh... I guess, to, is, does that give you connections? Is that something that yeah, helps you Yeah, to... I, think, I think it's like most career paths, right? Yeah. Where you kind of, it's at, at a certain point, it becomes less about what you do know and who you know kind of thing. Absolutely. And uh, Panda has helped in some ways of, it's also just interesting in the sense that I'm not a player. So a lot of times the, the people that get picked up by these esports teams are competitors because the marketing value from them is they get so many eyes on their team through visibility at tournaments. Mm-hmm. The further they go in tournaments, like I said before, Hungrybox is playing for three days straight. That's three straight days of broadcast that you get to see the Team Liquid logo Absolutely, on them. yeah. So but, not just the 25 bucks a day, but also the exposure, Exactly, right? so, exactly. Yeah. So it, it was kind of a unique situation to be a uh, content creator and get picked up by an org in that way. Yeah. But it is very cool, and it has kind of opened a lot of doors in the sense that I feel a lot more confident in being able to produce what I produce. And I also just know a lot of people in the space now too, which I think is pretty rad. Absolutely. And to see you go from where you were when we met into like watch your content, like get better and also catch on with an audience. And then to see an org recognize you like that and bring you on board. Um, I think it's just another step in like legitimacy, you know, it yeah. really reinforces yeah. this idea that you're, you're making something that's really I, cool. I have this tweet, and this is a humble brag, so I apologize in advance. Please. But when I first got picked up by by Panda, it's I think it's still my pin tweet. But I said something like, 
the quest to collect all of the esports infinity stones <laughs> continues <laughs> because I've done contract work with Red Bull and TSM and all you know all uh-huh. the big esports teams. I've done a bunch of contract stuff, but I was never part time or you know full time, whatever you want to define it as, or or an IC for them. Yeah, uh, with like more of a contract, which is really really cool to kind of see that develop. So. I had made that post and I was like, I'm going to get sponsored by every esports team, which is just not possible. <laughs> but it is just like a funny joke at this point. Like yeah. on, my, on my birthday, I was like, I'm proud to announce I'm sponsored by TSM, Cloud9, Red Bull, EG, GG, PG. Like I have, have like 20 on, different. On your birthday cake too, yeah. each logo. <laughs> yeah, I, I slipped in like OnlyFans in there too, where I was just like, yeah, sponsored by all these people and OnlyFans, by the way. <laughs> so, but. Oh, well, that's great. I, it's, it's so exciting to, um, to see you do what you're doing. And I'm like, um, excited to see you keep going thank you man because you've been going for uh you know a while now but you know hopefully this is still just the beginning right yeah you've still got a lot of ways to go i have a few other questions that are a little bit more adjacent uh to necessarily what you do first one is i've seen you've started doing some content creation for tiktok uh what do you think about tiktok as a platform (laughs) i know i probably should have asked before the recording um if i could swear or not oh you absolutely man fuck vertical videos dude (laughs) vertical videos are the shittiest i wish my girlfriend was still here in the room with us because she would have probably uh had a heart attack if she heard you talking about this platform as again someone who is traditionally film trained yes vertical videos just goes against everything that is normal to a normal person i get on my soapbox about this all the time your eyes are next to each other they're not stacked on top of each other we're supposed to be looking (laughs) at a a horizontal video (laughs) yeah she she calls me because she's she's a freelancer full-time right now at least and she calls me and she'll be like oh i'm doing a snapchat cut down and it's so stupid man because this isn't the way the people that went to shoot these videos didn't intend for someone to zoom in and punch in on a random area of this 16 by 9 video that was shot just so that you could fit it into your stupid phone screen (laughs) um that being said i don't mind it i think vertical videos are dumb from again someone who pretends to be a film student and is clearly not but they the the shorts platform as a whole is has been quite good for algorithmically from that perspective because mm. it's really good at drawing people in and yeah. if i if i can nerd out for a minute about how youtube and how those platforms work yeah it is insane the amount of engagement you can get from those types of videos in that content space because people have absolutely awful attention spans yes so they will just be like i'm going to consume and consume and consume and, and you get it too i watched absolutely. i watched your coats video yes. on this oh, i actually watched it a couple our, days ago our too. viral moment yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, you know it's just it's cool because you can kind of see you know the people who exist like myself and i'm sure you can relate to this in some way and, and a lot of people can you see it and you're like oh big number you know i got yes, a million views i got a hundred thousand views and you know the monkey brain goes off and you're like oh yeah, yeah like i content. love it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. good 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 <laughs> and you want to keep doing it um it it is motivating in that way and it does kind of help now that it's settled in more after a couple of years of being mainstream sure it's kind of found its spot as a very very good support system algorithmically to traditional long-form content sure. so a lot of people will say, uh, if you talk to like a strategist, and I, I talk to a good marketing friend of mine all the time about this stuff, you can use the shorts to bring people in now, and then you have like the long form content to kind of keep them hooked. Right, right. So there is cool ways that you can build that together. And, and now that I'm kind of exploring that with a more 
open mind and less of a old man shaking his fist on my porch kind <laughs> right. of approach. Uh, I, I like it more in that way. Yeah, I, I think the whole like decentralized algorithm thing is is great. You know, it's like it, just because something's being shown to me doesn't mean it's gonna be shown to you because it's trying to get specifically what I'm interested in. And hopefully, you know, there's people out there whose algorithm gets served your stuff. You don't already have to be like that that viral uh, TikTok that we made on on mine uh, on Affable Chats TikTok. I, we had 22 followers when we posted that. It's crazy, to and think then about, it, right? you know, millions of views later, just from that one TikTok. Uh, and that's cool to have that possibility, right? Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit different than the maybe more linear progression you get on something like YouTube. Yeah, I, I will say, I guess again, the one caveat that myself and my my girlfriend have when it comes to this kind of thing is it, it does kind of muddy the the definition of a content creator. Yeah. I think current years will everyone kind of throws out that term now, right? Where they're like, yeah, I'm a content creator. It's like, are you like, you, like you sure. just make TikToks, man. Like, are, you know, kind of thing. And, and I know, yeah. again, this is me just being like a crabby old boomer about some of this stuff, but it definitely has shifted kind of what that definition means to create content because it's not just set in stone of like, you got to be a film student. You got to yeah. do this, that, and the other thing. And again, it, go, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about, I think you and I as engineers can definitely appreciate the fact that there is no right way to do something or right. to solve one problem, right? So there is no right way to be a content creator, and we all just have to live with that at this yeah, point. Yeah, and the bar- the barrier for entry is below the floor at this point. You know, sure. like you're, yeah. you can TikTok has its own editing software, which. I never use. I think it's super frustrating. I was going <laughs> to ask you how you make some of that stuff too, because I'm so into like i use premiere for all of my my edits and i have done all the tiktoks i post are from premiere yeah but i i'm watching this and it again it's like (laughs) as someone who i would say is a bit more advanced when it comes to editing technique and things like that i'm watching people who are just filming themselves and then it cuts to something different and i'm like how did they do that yes. on their phone? I have no idea. I never took the time to learn how to do any of that on my phone. <laughs> I, I use DaVinci Resolve and I just do it all through that. Right. And it's like, I, again, it's like kind of learning your method of doing it. I'm sure I can figure it out eventually, but I don't want to. I already know how to do it on the computer. Yeah, so I yeah, just do it exactly. all through there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think TikTok is a a lot of times a garbage platform. A lot of the stuff I look at, I'm like, uh, this is, I'm wasting my time. I'm not going to remember this in five <laughs> minutes. But I also, I do agree with that take that it's kind of an entry level thing where you could potentially uh, start people there and then take them to something that I think a lot of your, especially your documentaries, it blows me away that you've made documentaries. Thank you. But like <laughs> it, to, you, it's hard to drop a 90 minute like video on somebody and be like, Watch it. Try yeah. this out. You know, <laughs> hey, think I, about it. I know yeah. you've never seen anything I've made, but watch this. But TikTok is like a really good entryway for that. So speaking of like, you know, 90 minute things, what have you been watching lately? We're, we're a content review podcast, mostly movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what have you been watching uh, lately? Anything caught your eye as far as like uh, maybe movies or TV shows? Yeah, I, I've uh, I've tuned into a couple of your streams every now and again yeah? just, to, just to enjoy it and kind of watch what you guys are up to. Absolutely. Um, I think... As a sports guy, um, have you all seen Secret Base before? Uh, Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, I think I I watch a lot of stuff that kind of inspires my content. Secret Base, of course, being a very big one, I think. Yes. I want to say, have you done a uh, chart party reference where you had like jazz music playing? I did. That was spot on. Like I I can't remember specifically which video it was, but we were watching it on my stream and I was like, oh, he's doing, he's doing freaking chart party. It is hard as (laughs) fuck to do that, by the way. Uh, The way that, that John Boyce edits it 
is through uh, Google Earth, really? which is the most bizarre shit I've ever heard. Like he puts the charts on Google Earth. Yeah. So the so you know how how Secret Base and them do like map animations and then it goes in on the globe or whatever. That's yes. all on Google Earth apparently. Wow. And I downloaded it and I was like, this shit doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just gonna do this in After Effects and it's gonna be annoying as hell and it's gonna take. 10 years to, to <laughs> render out but this is what i again like yeah. the way that works for me yeah um yeah. well yeah. it's interesting that you bring up like uh like other content creators as far as like what you've been watching do you feel like um because of where you exist in the content space like you're more biased towards new media as opposed to traditional media like you're more you're less concerned about which movie is coming out and more concerned about what the content creators you care about are, are creating i think for me kind of because yeah. it's it's more about how can I apply this to the platform that I exist on. Yeah. Um, I, I love watching movies and I can be a film snob at times. Sure. Even though maybe my, my opinions are misplaced for some of this stuff. But I think a lot of watching, you know, the platform of YouTube is it's also kind of studying like film in a way where yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to watch this other creator and see what they do well or what I don't think they do well kind of thing. Take some notes and apply that into my own creations. But it's also the interpersonal aspect of it, where it's like I can develop a relationship with this other creator or friendship with this other person or group of people. And then maybe that leads into a collab effort or like sure. some type of like cool thing where it's like, oh, imagine if me, Turn Down for Walt, gets to make a video with X creator. That'd right. be super cool. Um, so that's kind of where I like to exist the most, I think. Absolutely. It's just the things that that pertain to me really, really closely right now. Yeah, I, I find myself spending a lot more time just comparatively, because, uh, you know, we, we review movies most of the time. So I'm very intentional about the time I spend mm -hmm. watching movies. It's like um, not necessarily work. I mean, kind of, but it's not the recreational content that I'm consuming, right? right? right. And I spend exactly. a lot more time on YouTube and watching stuff that's newer like that to get my fix of like like relaxing content yeah uh, or maybe not relaxing but you know stuff that i'm being a little more passive when i'm consuming um and i think that means i don't know it just i spend less time with the traditional stuff mm -hmm. like i watch movies at a pretty aggressive clip but like tv shows and you know stuff that's uh airing on cable television or anything like sure, that just sure. falls completely by the wayside mm -hmm. uh because i feel like it's it's uh and maybe that's just more normal as we're uh, advancing into the future and getting more and more new media as opposed to tr traditional. I mean, do you feel like being a content creator gets in the way of being a content consumer? Uh, in some ways, yeah, yeah. it does. Um, I think there's also a very weird... Ambiance isn't the right word to it, but I guess like ego check that you kind of go, it's like the five stages of grief kind of thing, but <laughs> for people with egos, and this is, I think I've noticed this specifically in esports, uh -huh. but it's a very weird thing that I think I've kind of sh shook at this point where people look at so much with like a hypercritical eye because you're comparing to your own creations. So I think it does kind of get in the way in that sense where when I first started creating, I would watch someone else's thing and look for anything that could be bad and be like, well, this is trash like, because I can do this so much better. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Um, and that kind of like goes away over time where you're like, no, I just like appreciate good work for good work kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that ultimately helps you become a better creator yourself because you can, again, apply the things that are good and put your own creative spin on it in some way whether it's, you know, adapting chart party into a new type of content media or something yeah. like that. 
Um, I mean, I saw I that cool. as just like a loving reference. Like it's yeah. like because everybody that I know is a John Boys fan. Like I I don't know they they appreciate what he puts into his videos because mm-hmm. they're very meticulous, they're very well planned, and uh, to emulate that in any way, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it's fun to watch watch other creators again and just kind of like take notes and go in the ice box and kind of be like, what can I do to improve myself? And I think that's that's what separates a lot of content creators, really good content creators from really great content creators, because a lot of us are able to see there, there is this kind of mindset of continuous improvement, right? Where you're just kind of like, I know that my content might be good, but there are a thousand ways it could be better. I always tell people my best shit is my latest shit. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that is, I I think the ideal way to approach it. I've said it so many times when people ask me, how do I get into it kind of thing where I'm like, and again, my girlfriend says the same stuff to people where it's just like, you just got to make something and go because so yep. many people get hung up on making it absolutely perfect the first time. You don't know what perfect is yeah, until you, you experience it. You won't know time. it until a few years down the road and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ever made that. Exactly. It was good. Exactly. And, but this is good. And then a few years later, you're like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. But now <laughs> I've got it, which is like kind of cringe, but it's also a beautiful thing. You know, you just continue to build on yeah, it. Yeah. It's a very iterative process and you, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about kind of the medium you exist in and create in. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people are out there just to make good art and they just keep doing it. So that's what's really cool about it. Well, that's really cool. And I appreciate you so much for sitting down with me while here in New York City. Yeah. Like, you know, get do this interview uh where can the people find you Walt? what kind of where, where if they're looking for turn down for walt content where can they find it yeah absolutely thank you for having me also it's great to see you after uh five years yes. or however long it's yeah been. it's been too long too long <laughs> yeah so for the for the fans at home who are still here at the outro ben and i went to college together yes. so that's that's pretty cool yeah um but yeah you guys can find me at youtube.com slash turn down for waltz it's the same for all platforms except tiktok i'm mad about that and instagram <laughs> what is well. Yeah, it's taken, man. <laughs> so I have to be turned down for Walt official ah, on TikTok right. and Instagram, which I think is a crock of shit, if you <laughs> ask me, because I went to the turned down for Walt page on Instagram. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I reported it because I was so mad uh, <laughs> because they haven't posted in years on it. And yes. Instagram was like, uh, the no, worst. there's no reason we can't, you yeah. know, you have to be stuck with your name. They might be, they might come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's turned down for Walt everywhere. Um, I exist on the donation platforms. If you guys patreon to the channel yeah Apple chat supports turn down for all making good content i think i support Dropping you too bangers. and if i don't i'm gonna change that we after actually this don't weekend, offer but... anything on patreon oh you don't so, okay yeah, we're, we're just hanging out you know i think did you have a patreon years ago no yeah, we I just made an account so that we could support other people okay. but yeah okay when we do though we'll let you know very cool i will be <laughs> i will be one of the first if yes. not the first but yeah i mean if you guys hopefully i've converted some of you into melee fans at this point hopefully check out the channel maybe I always say if people start getting into the scene, just go to a tournament because you will experience something unlike anything you could ever imagine, I think. And and it sounds corny and lame to say something like that, but there really is nothing like kind of becoming fully uh, rooted into a community as beautiful as what Melee is. So that's cool. And going back into it, just give me money if you want to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Patreon.com slash turn down for Walt. <laughs> I am selling merch as well super rad stuff honestly i've yeah, been working no, with an cool awesome stuff. designer it's, i mean even is that your merch that you're wearing right now it is i actually yeah. never sold this so oh, this really? never saw the store it's very but, subtle i didn't yeah. even notice it until just now but yeah, it's this is, uh, falcon, falcon, falcon and, and peach. peach yeah yeah this very was from cool. the uh one of the documentaries that i put on my channel that's but, awesome um, 
We just did a, a release a couple of weeks ago. I did my first ever live in-person booth with live sales, which was awesome. We did a denim jacket, a varsity coat, some t-shirts. Sales were great. It was awesome. Just kind of like interfacing with people in that way and being yeah. like, yeah, buy a coat or whatever. It's not super in your face either. Like it's, it's very subtle, like stylish, but also definitely some like if you know, you know, yeah, you know, you'll recognize you. it. Appreciate so. that. So if you guys are interested, it's at turndownforwalt.com for that. And that's, that's my, uh, little spiel yeah. about no. shilling for myself in some ways. But. Oh no, you've earned it after an <laughs> a hour of giving us content. So um, I think we're going to end it there. So once again, thank you, Walt. And uh, yeah, that's it. Bye. Thank you. Take care.